I am ruling elder David Fickett, uh, one of the original ones, uh, known to Carol as the elder elder. And so that, uh, that takes care of that. Now my text today is in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. So I'd like to read that first. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed has not a need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of God. So the title title of my sermon is Humility or Pride. Uh, Which is it going to be? St. Augustine said that the most important Christian virtue is humility. And he said the second most important virtue is humility. He also said the third most important virtue is humility. That gives us a sense of importance of the virtue of humility, I would think. So what I would like to cover with three three concepts or three points is, first of all, is Jesus' Jesus perfect humility. And the second is seeing the gospel of grace in the foot washing. And also, and then the third was, is how should we then live? So there's the outline. So let's look at Jesus' life and humility and humiliation. We know that uh, he is the supreme example of humility. Indeed, he's the perfect, he's the perfect humility. First of all, in his, in his agreement to, uh, to become a man in his in, incarnation, leaving glory, taking on human nature with all of the misery and the suffering that goes with it. He was truly the God-man. He was God and man at the same time. 
And then we look at his, his humble birth to a peasant couple uh, in, a, in a crummy place and uh, uh, the, whole, the whole system, not in, a, in halls of, of, of a palace or something like that, but, but in, in the most humble way. And then all during his life, he was accused of being illegitimate. All his childhood, working with his father, his adopted father, Joseph, he earned a trade or learned a trade. He probably had splinters in his fingers. He may have hit his thumb with a hammer. Uh, all kinds of things uh, no normal to uh, human life. And then he was baptized. He was baptized not for himself, not for his sins, but the sins of his people. And following that, the Holy Spirit, we know, led him into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. And then in his weakened condition, he was confronted by Satan who tempted him. His entire teaching ministry, he had opposition. And mostly from the people uh, who were the leaders of the religious, the religious leaders, the church of that time. But now, he's turning toward He's finished his earthly ministry, and he's turning toward the horror of the cross. He knows who he is and what he must endure for his people. Paul says, For our sake God the Father made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's, uh, I'd like to look at what, uh, what Paul also said in Philippians first chapter. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which, yours, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So like what I'd like to do now is set the stage and see if we can exercise our imagination of what it looked like as these disciples uh, gathered together with the, with the Lord. Uh, Jesus had arranged the location, and, uh, and it was an upper room, therefore it was private. Uh, he wanted to have this special time with his, with his disciples as he had a great deal to say to them. The room was furnished with a table and cushions and utensils and dishes and so forth. And by the, by the door, there would have been a, a pitcher of water and a basin and a towel. And the reason for that is that when people came to dinner, they may have had a bath beforehand, but they had to walk to their destination, and they wore sandals and so forth, and the road was dirty, and their feet were dirty. And so it was customary for the lowest servant in the household to wash these people's feet as they arrived. So, in addition to that, the disciples had prepared the food and the wine. Let's look at verse 1. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, and having loved his own who were in the world, 
He loved them to the end. Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was the eternal Son of God. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew he would be betrayed, and he knew who would do it. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew that his disciples would, would abandon him in their fright. He knew he'd be falsely accused and convicted. He recognized the humiliation, being stripped, beaten, tortured, spit upon, and finally the ultimate humiliation to hang on a cross, a Roman cross, and die. And in spite of that, his focus was on the welfare of his disciples. He was concerned about their protection when he would be apart from them. And he had to prepare them for the mission that was ahead, which is the, most, the greatest mission, the greatest task that has ever been assigned to anyone, is what he assigned these men. So, now let's look at the second point, the, the foot washing. Read, um, reading verses 2 through 5. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his outer garments. And taking the towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Even Judas. And imagine what he was thinking as he washed Judas's feet, like he was looking into the eyes of the serpent. You remember the pitcher and the of water and the, and the towel and the basin was out there by the entrance? Apparently, nobody showed up to do the foot washing. So what do you think was going through the minds of the disciples? If you were there, if you were one of them, what would you be thinking at this, at what was unfolding before you? you feeling a shock? Embarrassment. And Peter certainly indicated that by his outburst. But he of all people, Jesus of all people, should not be doing this. And they may have each been thinking about, well, Maybe I should have done that. But then that leads him to thinking and say, but, I mean, I could wash his feet, but the rest of these guys, I don't think so. So we have a little, little bit of pride going here, I think. So we're going to almost look at verses 6 through 9. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing to you, you don't understand now, but afterward, you will understand. I wonder when the afterward is. The afterward certainly would be, it would be after his death, it would be after his resurrection, it would be after his ascension. It would have to be after the Holy Spirit came upon them and pulled it all together for them. At Pentecost. Well, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. What's up with Peter? It, at first he rebukes Jesus, and then he pushes him away. He says, no, you can't do that. 
And the next thing he does is he asks him to explain what it's all about before he's willing to, to accept his service. John Calvin said that Peter's ignorance is closely followed by obstinacy. And he probably represented all the rest of them as well. What, if this is pride being shown here, what is pride after all? It's a condition of the heart. And it's everyone's problem. It's my problem. It's everybody's problem. I think it's part of our DNA, in fact. It's a preoccupation with self. It doesn't mean that you think a lot of yourself or think not very much. But the point is that you are self-occupied. You're thinking about yourself all the time. And it's a matter of self-promotion. It could be self-preservation. But no doubt, this, this is what Peter... Peter's problem was. He was embarrassed, and as a result, he um, plays the fool. But the good thing is he sets the stage for an important lesson. Sometimes people that blurt out, <laughs> they make fools of themselves, but also they, they, they create the opportunity to present a point. It's like a setting, it's being set up. So he sets the stage for this important lesson that there is no salvation apart from the saving work of Jesus. Indeed, all of Scripture says that salvation is from God and can never be earned by sinful man. Well, now Jesus continues this parable he's acting out. And this is like a parable that, is in, that he's acting instead of speaking. Verses 10 through 11, Jesus said to him, that is Peter, the one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Well, what does he mean by bathe and no need to wash? Well, Calvin again uh, says that some people think that Jesus is referring to the pardon of sins. And others say newness of life. In truth, it's both. Jesus washes us when he removes the guilt of our sins in his atoning sacrifice. On the cross, it is Jesus taking our place. He is there as us and for us. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are considered just before God. Our sins are imputed to him and his righteousness. Well, what about the foot washing? Calvin, again, he says, it's a metaphor for continuous lapses. And in fact, it's living the Christian life. Jesus is telling them, everything you need will flow from the cross. Me for you, me as you, and performance, with the notion that my performance determined my salvation. In other words, I had the cart before the horse, or in this context, the foot washing before the bath worried me. I wondered, in fact, I wondered if I was really a Christian. The truth is that Jesus did it all. And when the gospel of God's grace for the first time, I understood that. I gratefully, I surrendered to the Lord Jesus and received the Holy Spirit who has enabled me to live the Christian life through the biblical process of repentance forgiveness, renewal, and obedience. We have this wonderful promise from, God, from John's gospel. 
his first epistle here, or the first epistle. We say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the new and imperishable life in him, and to preserve them and wash their sins away after our conversion. He keeps us to the end. It is, well, what must we do? What is the imperative here? And this we find in verses 12 through 17. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. So these things, blessed are you if you do them. Well, Jesus' entire ministry is characterized by his humility. His disciples are meant to imitate him by serving one another. This is not about initiating a new religious activity, although some have gone that route. The principle is to relate to each other with servants' hearts, with deferential love. This is especially true of these men who will be commissioned to represent Jesus with full authority ambassadors with the seal of the king of the universe to establish the foundation for the Christ for Christ church they will write the new testament turn the world upside down and bring upon bring about the redemption of the world and there should be no pompous and selfish big shots in the leadership of his church be a great temptation wouldn't you think to be an apostle to have the kind of authority they had and the they weren't that way, and the, all those that they trained were not that way. But there was always the tendency for them to go that way. So we're meant to be servants, servants only. Of course, this is not the way of the world, where everyone seems to be determined to control and dominate. There's no room for that in Christ's church and kingdom. So let's face it. It's in our DNA to be otherwise, to be like, be worldly. And this is what we're, what the Spirit of God and the, and the Word of God, and this is what the Lord is ironing out of us as we grow in our faith and our love for him. Jesus is telling his disciples and all of his people that the way to build the kingdom of God, the way to make disciples, the way to save the lost, the way to relate to one another in peace and harmony, it's to serve one another in humility. To love our neighbors ourselves. And Jesus says in verse 17, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And that's a promise from God who keeps his promises. So brothers and sisters, does humility characterize your life? Remember it is the greatest virtue. Is it the desire of your heart to become more and more like Jesus? What if we were to repent of our pride every day and commit to imitating our Lord and his humility? How would that work out in our marriages? What would it be like if husbands and wives served each other in a spirit of humility? Do you remember your wedding vows that you made to each other in the presence of God and the church and family and friends? What would it be like if children had the virtue of humility at home and at school? 
What would it be like at work if we served one another in humility? What would our church look like if we showed deferential love toward each other? I suspect that all of us have heart issues, serious heart issues that we're battling that no one knows about. So why can't we be kind to each other? James says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Pride is the opposite of humility. Pride blocks out the blessings of God. But humility invites the blessings of God. So let us repent of our pride and embrace humility. Check our hearts often. Study the the person of Jesus. And trust the Holy Spirit to train us in humility and servanthood. Will you trust him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, let Jesus reign in our hearts today. By the truth of the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, make us the men and women, boys and girls you want us to be, kind and tender-hearted like our Lord and King. Amen.